stars are singing, all the angels shouted for joy, shouted for joy. And looking back through history, your people, they have always had a song they must sing, a song they must sing. We are the people of God. We'll sing your song here on the earth. All over the world, your song will resound. All over the world, your praises ring out. We're living to see your name and renown. All over the world. The young and old, near and far, there's a place for every heart to join in your song. Join in your song, and every nation, tribe, and tongue come together, join as one, give glory to God, glory to God, we are the people of God, we'll sing a song here on the earth, all over the world, your song will resound. Streams of above. 
Amen. Good morning. Man, it is great to worship Jesus Christ with brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. So before you are seated, take a moment. Let's have a time of fellowship and let's welcome those around us.
Fellowship time is over. Hey, I, I love to see a church that likes to fellowship, uh, likes to welcome those around you. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here on this beautiful Sunday morning. The sun is shining. Uh, it's going to get a little warmer, I think, tomorrow, so praise the Lord for that. We do want to welcome you. If this is your first time with us, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you will, if this is your first time, we don't do this to embarrass you in any way. We're not going to come try to sell you anything. It just helps us get to know who you are. So inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. Maybe you want to learn more about the church. We would like to learn more about you. On the other side is a place for some prayer requests. If you have something you would like the staff to be praying about, um, you can fill that out and then put that in the offering plate, uh, and we will be doing that just one announcement I want to make um, when you came in maybe you smelled something that smelled really really good that is some soup uh, and it did smell good and somebody requested that I actually just preach over there and we just eat right now but you're gonna have to wait you're gonna have to wait a little bit but we will get over there and so um, we are gonna have a lunch after the service um, to, to help relay for life it's a five dollar uh, donation and, and you're aware of that and many of you are already planning to stick around for that and it'll be a great time uh, of fellowship so I want to encourage you to do that I do have one praise I want to share with you uh, if you're not on Facebook and you have no clue we do have a new addition to our church family uh, Taylor and Brad had their little boy yesterday about three weeks early um, and so yeah we can clap for that And so now, so now Mason gets to be a big brother. Little Logan uh, came into the world yesterday afternoon, and he is healthy. Mom is doing well, and so we just want to rejoice uh, in that God is good, and it is always great to grow a church uh, through births. So uh, it's always a good thing. All right. Our scripture this morning that we're going to read through, it will appear there on the screen for you, is actually Psalm 2. It's considered a royal psalm. And so you'll see here, verse 10 says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. But it also, right before that, says, O kings, be wise, O rulers of the earth. So this morning, I want to encourage you. There's many ways that you can pray. But maybe one way we could pray this morning is we think about the rulers here. In our country those who are in leadership positions maybe this morning we could spend a few minutes in prayer for them and praying that our leaders would once again begin to fear the Lord and to serve in trembling before him and that we too would do that so would you spend a moment in prayer this morning
join me right down front here. If you will, let's stand right behind this white line for me. Okay? Y'all do that? Behind the white line. Okay, behind the white line. This could get really, really scary. Not really. I'm not going to scare you. You can stand. You can sit. It's probably better if you sit so you can see. Uh, those are awesome shoes. Did y'all have a good week? Y'all did? What did y'all do all week? Stay at home, sleep. No, you went to school. You watch TV. Okay. Did you, did you talk to any of your friends? You did. What'd you What'd you talk to your friends about? Nothing. Yeah. Okay. So you can talk to your friends about a lot of stuff, right? You can talk to them about your new shoes. You can talk to them about your dress, your new hat, all sorts of cool stuff. But what's something else that you can tell your friends? Got the shirts pretty? Wow. Yes, ma'am. Right? Okay, what else? Absolutely. You can talk to them about Jesus. Okay? But you know what? Talking to them about Jesus, okay, you want to tell your friends about Jesus, right? But what about all the way on the other side of the world? How do they hear about Jesus? How are you going to tell this person over here about Jesus? You could travel. All right, so go hop on an airplane right now and go travel and tell them, right? No, you're a superwoman. You can fly. How about drive? You could drive a car across the ocean, couldn't you? No, why not? It would sink. What, what if it's a floating car? No. Well, they they have some similar. All right. There's there are things is a floating car is called a boat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, listen. So, you from way over here can tell this person way over here. How do you think you can do that without flying across the world, without traveling? How do you in the world do you think they could get the message from this side of the world to this side of the world? You don't have to leave here. How? You can send a message. How do you send a message? What's the easiest way to send a message? From a phone. That's a good way to send a message. Absolutely. How about talking to somebody? You think you can tell your friends? Right? You can tell your friends. You can start talking to your friends. You tell one person, and then they start telling people. And they keep telling people, and you continue talking and talking about Jesus and telling people about it. Guess what? The more and more people know about Jesus, right? So eventually, it's going to get all the way around the world. Do y'all think that? You think if you just tell one person, it's a message getting around the world? There's a good chance that that could happen. Now, well, wait a second. Y'all are tell. Well, we're, y'all are just kids, right? Absolutely, that is right. Because in the in the book of Jeremiah, it says, "Don't even basically don't even use the excuse that you're young. Don't even say it, because whatever God tells you to do, no matter what your age, you need to do that. And He's going to be with you when you go to spread that word. All right. So, taking this to get to this this little kid on this side of the world that you want to tell the message about." 
you have to do is tell one person and you spread the gospel all the way around the world. Y'all think y'all can do that? Yes? Okay. All right, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your message that we get, get to, to take. And as long as we tell one person, and that person continues on, we, we can spread this message to the ends of the world like you want us to, Lord. It doesn't matter our size or, or anything about us. You know, how young we are, how old we are. Bibles, please open them to 1 John, 1 John, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning, 1 John chapter 1, let me encourage you to take your Bible and to keep it open, or your electronic device if that's what you have, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some Bibles scattered around in here, let me encourage you 
as we go verse by verse through these verses, it is helpful if you have this in front of you. So the word of the Lord says, beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer this morning is simply that I would rightly divide the Word of God. Lord, this is your Word. It is not to be preached, nor studied, nor heard lightly. God, you have spoken to us. The Word of God was made manifest, revealed to us. And here we are, thousands of years later, with the Word in our hands. And so, Lord, we want to hear clearly. Lord, hide me behind the cross. And may the words that I say only be the words, Father, that you would have me to say. Give us a clearer understanding of your word and may it lead to a response this morning in Jesus name all God's people said amen you may be seated so last Sunday afternoon Ryan was here at church at a baby shower and I started this 13 years ago uh, as long as when Lane was little eventually he got too old and we had to quit doing it so I do it with Malachi whenever Ryan leaves the house especially if it's a Sunday afternoon we take a nap. So we do. So Malachi and I laid down, right? We took a nap together. Now you understand why when they get to be a certain age, we stop doing it because it gets a little weird, right? So, um, so Malachi and I took a nap and slept about an hour. And when I woke up, I checked Twitter. And man, my phone was blown up on Twitter. First, the speculation and then later confirmation that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. It would later come to find out that his one daughter was on the, the helicopter with him. Seven other people, in addition to them, lost their lives last Sunday. And of course, all week long, there have been tributes. And Kobe Bryant, right, he got the majority of that because he, he was the most well-known of those who lost their lives on the crash in, in that plane or the helicopter, but right, people have been giving tribute to him all week long. And so my generation, if you're my age, around 40, and you watch basketball growing up, it was Michael Jordan. Right? That's who it was. But those of you who are a little bit younger than me, I think it went kind of from Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant. Right? He became that superstar. And so in 50 or 60 years, if the Lord hasn't come yet, and people are sitting around talking about the greatest basketball players that ever lived, Kobe Bryant's name will probably come up. And no one in their right mind in 50 or 60 years is going to argue whether or not Kobe Bryant existed. No one is going to say, well, he didn't exist. You made him up. He wasn't real. No, because those of us who are still alive can say, man, you're out of your mind. I watched him play. Some people even met him and shook his hand or maybe has an autograph 
from him. No one is going to question whether he was an historical figure. Now, what they may debate is where does he rank in the all-time greats of basketball? He's probably up there pretty high. John is writing this letter about 50 or 60 years after Jesus Christ lived in the flesh, was killed, crucified, raised from the dead, about 50 or 60 years after the church was birthed. And there are already people, only 50 years later, denying who this Jesus was. Some of them even denying that he was a historical person denying that he was someone who lived in the flesh, certainly questioning his significance. And so John begins this letter right off the bat dealing with those who are denying the historical Christ, denying that he is God in the flesh. You'll notice in your your Bible's there. John doesn't begin with an introduction or a salutation like many of the letters do. He just jumps right in. And so there's three things I want you to notice from our text. But before we get there, I want to give you two, two big things that you see in the Greek that you may not see in the English. So this may come as a shock to some of you. But the original biblical manuscripts were not written in English. I know. They're written in Greek. So our translators have to take the Greek manuscripts, which is a different language, and translate it into English. And sometimes when you do that, you may miss out on a few things in the original Greek. Now, disclaimer, I am not by any means an expert in the Greek language. I did take two semesters of it, but that was a long time ago. But I do want to point out something to you. The first thing I want you to notice, and I'm going to do this quickly. This may get a little deep, but I think it's helpful. The first thing I want you to notice is that the main verb in this paragraph, right? The original manuscripts didn't have verses. But aren't you thankful that we have verses in our Bible? And then I'm not like, turn to page 500 and good luck finding where I'm at. Right? We have verses and chapters. So this, verses 1 through 4, is really, in essence, a, a one paragraph, almost one sentence. And the main verb of this paragraph in the Greek doesn't occur until verse 3. So look at verse 3, right? John says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. That's the main verb in the Greek text. Now, how many of you in your English translations, verse 1 begins this way, that which was from the beginning or what was from the beginning? If your translation begins that way, raise your hand. All right, if you have the ESV translation, that's how it starts, that which was from the beginning. Some of you may have a translation that reads this way, we proclaim to you what was from the beginning. So if your translation begins, we proclaim to you, raise your hand. Anybody? A few of you. There's a few translations that will do that. One of those is the New Living Translation. Now, why do they take the main verb that doesn't occur to verse 3 and bring it to the beginning of verse 1? It's for readability. Because most of us would not talk in the way the ESV is translated. The ESV is trying to do a word-for-word -word translation. We would not say, hey, that which was from the beginning. No, we would say, hey, I'm proclaiming to you that which was from the beginning. It makes it a little bit easier to read and understand. So the question then becomes, and this is important, 
Why does John write this way? Why doesn't he just put the main verb at the beginning and say, look, we proclaim to you that which was from the beginning. And I think he does it for emphasis sake. Because the emphasis of the first, verse four, first four verses is not the message that he's proclaiming. That's important. But the emphasis is the person. The focus of these first four verses isn't the proclamation of the message, but it's Jesus himself who is the proclamation. This is about Jesus. John is starting with Jesus. The other thing I want to point out to you, and your English translation probably notes this, is that verse 2 is a parenthetical statement. If you look at your translation, verse 2 for you may begin with a line in front of it and a line at the end of it. That's a parenthetical. So in the Greek text, right, John is saying, look, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. Now, if you drop down to verse 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. It flows without verse 2. So John, as he's writing, being prompted by the Spirit of God, says, look, I'm writing concerning the word of life, and the Spirit impresses upon his heart, hey, tell them more about the word of life. And so that's what verse 2, it explains to us that this word of life is manifested, and he's testifying to it. So verse 2 helps us better understand the word of life. Maybe you found that helpful. I thought that was interesting this week as I was studying, and it helped me better understand the flow of this. So here's what I want you to notice. There's so much we could look at, but in our time this morning, notice number one. John wants you and I to understand that Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh. Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh, and John is an eyewitness. Notice what he says. That which was from the beginning. We'll come back to that phrase from the Beginning, He says, that which was from the beginning, he goes on to say, concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest, right? We, we've seen it. So clearly, John here is talking about a person. He's talking about a person, and the person he's talking about, we know, is Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying. He is saying, this Jesus appeared in the flesh. He was a historical person. Notice what he says, right? John heard Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. What do you hear with? Your ears, right? Everybody take their hands, touch your ears. Right, he's appealing here to our senses. That which we have heard, John 7, 46 says, no one ever spoke like this man. John says, I heard Jesus speak. He continues, not only did he hear him, but John saw him. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Like John even tells us, what do we see with our eyes? Go ahead, point to your eyes. Make sure you're still awake, still paying attention. They go, right, we see with our eyes. Now, this is interesting. Or at least I find it interesting. John says, which we have heard, but he doesn't say heard with our ears. But look what he says about seeing, which we have seen with our eyes. Why would John include with our eyes when he did not say we heard with our ears? Because John wants to be crystal clear, this isn't a spiritual or a mystical vision. This isn't a dream. He is saying, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. I laid eyes on him. Let me give you a, a little bit more Greek. This is a Greek lesson, but again, I find this helpful. 
The first two verbs he uses here, which we have heard and which we have seen, he uses in the perfect tense. The perfect tense. So in Greek, you have, when it comes to verbs, four primary tenses. You have the present tense, I am seeing, presently seeing. You have the past or the aorist sense when you would say, I have seen, past tense, I've seen. You have the future tense, I will be seeing in the future. And then you have what John uses here, which is the perfect tense. It reads as though he's talking in the past, does it not? Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. But here's the distinction. When you use the perfect tense, and this blew my mind away when I first learned of this years ago. The perfect tense means this. An action that is completed in the past with an ongoing present result. Something that happened back then that still impacts me today. So what is John saying when he uses the perfect tense here? He is saying, listen, I heard him and I saw him and what I heard and what I saw changed my life. It wasn't a one-time thing that no longer impacts me. And I believe maybe he's speaking here of the resurrection. I saw Jesus raised from the dead and I have not been the same. Past that impacts me today. John and the other disciples, right, they had seen and heard Jesus and it left a lasting impression. But he continues, right, not only did John hear Jesus, see Jesus, he knew Jesus. He goes on to say, which we looked upon. I think, okay, John, now you're just repeating yourself. You just told me you saw him. Now you're telling me you looked upon him. Again, this is where Greek can be helpful because the Greek word for looked upon means a long searching gaze. It means they watched him intently. So you could, you, you could say in English, hey, I'm viewing something. I viewed something. Or then you could say I'm staring at something. Anybody in here like the people watch? You really like to stare. I love the people watch. Sometimes I'm accused of staring, right? You're looking intently, trying to figure out what in the world are they doing? Right? This, this, isn't, this isn't John just saying, hey, man, I saw Jesus. But John is also saying, but wait a minute. I looked upon him. I studied him. I knew him. And you think of John on the Mount of Transfiguration as he beholds the glory of Christ. That's just not seeing that is beholding. Or you think of the disciples who saw the resurrected Christ. They beheld him. But then John says one more thing. He says, I touched him. He said, and we have touched him with our hands. Reminds you of Luke 24, 39, when Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 2 then goes on to say, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. Hear me, church. John isn't speculating about Jesus Christ. This isn't speculation. This is revelation. What we have here is not man's opinion of who they think Jesus is. This is the word of God revealed to us that tells us who Jesus is. This is revelation. Jesus Christ was made manifest. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh. But John also goes on to teach us that not only did Jesus appear in the flesh, but he in fact pre-existed his incarnation. 
It's the second thing I want you to notice, that Jesus Christ has existed eternally with the Father. See, John is saying to us, look, I'm not inventing this message. This isn't a new story. In fact, this is the old, old story. This is Jesus Christ who has always existed. Existed. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Beginning. Say that word with me. Beginning. You say, oh, I've heard that word. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You say, oh, I've heard that word beginning and maybe you think of John 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God not was a God but was God the eternal God that is important an important distinction there or maybe you think of Mark 1 1 the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of God so John writes that which was from the beginning now we have to then discern what does he mean by the beginning is John here, when he says that which was from the beginning, speaking of the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Word became flesh, is that the beginning for him, the beginning of his teaching and of, and of his living here those three years or even maybe his entire earth, earthly life? Or does from the beginning mean going all the way back to eternity past, which is what John 1.1 means. Right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He's always been God, he always existed. Which of those two meanings does he mean here in John, 1 John 1, 1? Well, commentaries disagree on this, as my commentaries did, um, as to how we interpret this. Either way, whether John meant from the beginning of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, God in the flesh, or from eternity past, either way, however you understand it, it is clear that Jesus Christ has always existed eternally with the Father. He's always been in existence. And he makes this clear as he continues. The life, right, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it. John Stott writes, human beings can apprehend only what God is pleased to make known. That we can comprehend only what God is pleased to make known. So aren't you thankful that God made known himself to us? Because it says, that which was from the beginning, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And John says, not only have we seen it, but we are testifying to it, and we are proclaiming to you life. But not just life, what does he say? Eternal life. That word eternal is modifying the noun life. It is eternal life. It is life that has always existed. The word of life which was from the beginning is also the eternal life which was with the Father. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And he appeared, or he existed long before he appeared in the New Testament. We know this from John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Gary Burge writes, He who existed from limitless eternity has entered time and space and taken up residence here on earth. This is God in history. This is God in the flesh. Now, why does John start his letter this way? Why no salutation? Why no introduction? Why is it just this is who Jesus is? Because even though it's only been 50 or 60 years, there is already a lot of false doctrine and false teaching 
that is spreading even within the church about who Jesus Christ is. So John is immediately dealing with that. One of the, one of the religions or the, the teachings that John is probably refuting scholars believe is called Gnosticism. And we'll look at Gnosticism in more detail in the upcoming weeks, but Gnostics taught this. And think about how different this is than what I've just told you, that Jesus is the eternal Son of God appearing in the flesh that John could see, touch, hear. Gnostics believe that the Spirit was good and matter was evil. So Gnostics believe God as Spirit is good, but the body is evil, therefore God would never take on flesh because that would be sinful. That is very different from what John is teaching us about Jesus Christ, the eternal God who took on flesh. And John says, I saw him and I touched him. Just a hundred years or so after this, around the second or third century, another group of people would come along, the, the docetists, the docetists, and they argued that Jesus was not a man in reality, but only in appearance. That he didn't actually have a physical body. It just appeared to be a physical body. John, based upon what he's writing here, that would be heresy. That is not biblical. In John's day was a man named Serenthus. Here's what Serenthus believed. And then we'll wrap up this second point. Serenthus believed this, that Jesus, this Jesus who walked the earth, was actually born a man, not supernaturally, just naturally, like you were born, born a man. He, was, he grew up as a man. At the moment of his baptism, the Christ descended upon him so that for three years of his earthly ministry, it was God doing these miracles. But right before his death, the Christ left Jesus so that only the man was crucified. That is not what John is teaching us here. This is not he was man and another time he was God. No, this is God in the flesh. And what you believe about that matters. Throughout history, false religions and cults have either tried to add or take away from Jesus Christ, who was revealed to us in the Scriptures. Right? You think of Muhammad, Joseph Smith, but John is crystal clear. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who appeared in the flesh, dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. James Montgomery Boyce writes, the most important thing John has to say in his preface is that Christianity... Is Jesus Christ you want to know what Christianity is it's Jesus Christ it's where the title of this message came from this week it's Christ or nothing it's Christ or nothing either you have Christ or you have nothing and notice what does John say in verse 3 that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you this message wasn't just for John or for the other disciples it was for the world the gospel, this revelation was given to the few, the disciples, for the sake of the many. Amen? So here we are, 2,000 plus years later, and we have the revealed word of God to us. This is God speaking to us. So Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has always existed, who has manifested, who appeared to us in flesh. And why is John saying this? Look what he says. That, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that. I'm proclaiming this for this reason. So here's the third point I want you to see, and that is that fellowship and joy are found only in Jesus Christ. And 
this morning, you can know that fellowship and joy. Look what he says, right? I'm proclaiming this to you also. Why? So that for this purpose, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John says, I'm proclaiming this so that you might have fellowship. It's interesting. John uses the word fellowship here instead of salvation. We maybe typically think of being saved, right, of, of salvation. But isn't fellowship with God in essence salvation? Right? Is that not what salvation is? Jesus Christ forgiving us of our sins and making us right with God so that we have right fellowship with God once again. Right? So we have this fellowship with him. Adam and Eve had fellowship with God in the garden. But their sin and disobedience led to their being kicked out from his presence. Sin destroyed our fellowship with God. But Jesus Christ came, living a perfect life, dying and being raised from the dead so that we might have fellowship and joy restored. Now the Greek word for fellowship here is the word koinonia. You've probably heard that word before. It speaks of a personal experience of sharing something significant in common with others. Look what John says. So that we might have fellowship, they may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So John is identifying this fellowship is a horizontal fellowship with us, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's a vertical fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. I like how Gary Burge uh, writes about this. He says, Christian fellowship is triangular. My life in fellowship with Christ, your life in fellowship with Christ, and my life in fellowship with yours. My life in fellowship with Christ, your life in fellowship with Christ, and then our lives in fellowship with each other. Church, that has huge implications for our lives. That we can have fellowship with Christ and fellowship with one another. So let me talk about that for a moment. There is no fellowship with God apart from Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. There is no fellowship with God the Father apart from Jesus Christ. So our prayer as believers is that people would come to know Jesus Christ, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, believing in Jesus so that they might have fellowship with God the Father. That is our desire. That is our prayer. That is why we exist ultimately as a church, is to see people come to fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's a second implication of this. Once you know that fellowship with God, you should then desire to live in fellowship with one another. You should desire, now that I'm right with God, to have fellowship with one another. So hear me, church. My prayer for you, our prayer as a church should be not only that people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but then once they know him, they then begin to have fellowship with us, their new brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And as a believer in Christ, whether you've been a Christian for a year or 50 years, your desire out of having a right relationship with Christ should be to live in fellowship with one another. And you cannot live in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ in one hour and 15 minutes a week. It can't happen, church. I am so glad that you are here, that you came at 1030 and you came ready to worship and you came with the word of God and you wanted to hear the word of God and you came ready to sing the praises of God. I'm so glad that you are doing that. But let me encourage you as your pastor, don't let this be enough for you. Because I want you in a right relationship with God, but then I want you in right fellowship with other people. And yeah, we had 45 seconds of shaking hands, and maybe you talked before and after the service, but real fellowship will take place outside of this. So hear me, if you are not in a Sunday school class, I plead with you, get involved in a Sunday school class. I sat, I can't remember, the. I don't even remember the Sunday school classes, their name, but I sat this morning in a Sunday school class with five ladies gathered around a table with the Word of God open, studying the Word of God and talking. That's fellowship. That's good. That's worth waking up an hour early to gather around other believers in Christ and say, man, I want to know you and I want to know His Word. When we, when we offer things like a lunch today, Right, or we offer service ministry where we can go and serve or upward. Those are all times that we can gather as the body of Christ and fellowship with one another. Seniors, man, I love seniors. When we do our monthly senior gatherings, that is an opportunity for you to say, man, I love my brothers in Christ and I want to fellowship with them. And look, if you're not a senior and you're either already retired early or you're off on that Tuesday, I don't think they'll mind if you come join us. At our previous church, man, my best friend would take off every Tuesday we did this, and he'd come eat. He was the only 30-something-year-old in there besides me, but he just wanted to be around some seniors. He wanted to fellowship. That is good and right, and I want to encourage you to do that. Let me say one more thing about fellowship. Some of you need horizontal relationships restored and fixed. Maybe it's a, a hurting marriage, or maybe it's a, a, a severed relationship uh, with a child. Look, we want these things fixed, but until your relationship with God is fixed, the horizontal can never happen. Until that person that maybe doesn't like you anymore or isn't loving Jesus, until they come to know Jesus, the horizontal really can't be fixed. And so, man, go to war for them and for their salvation and love them and pray for them because until this, until this is fixed, this can never be fixed. That's what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is they don't know Jesus. And until they know Jesus, it's going to continue to be a crazy place. What does John say? He says, man, you can have fellowship with us you can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That is good news. And if you don't know that fellowship, man, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And let us begin to walk in fellowship together. Lastly, and quickly, he also says this, verse 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy 
may be complete. Now, I believe that we can have a present joy that comes through our fellowship with Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe this morning that you can have a fellowship with God that leads to joy. It's very clear that I say this, and I, and I hope that you're listening. I do not believe that, that any person who has actually believed in Christ as Lord and Savior and their conversion was genuine, it was real, it wasn't because their friend did it or because they were pressured, but they, they felt the need to cry out to Jesus for salvation. I believe that whoever does that will not lose their fellowship with God. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I don't believe you can suddenly lose that fellowship. But here's what I think can happen. I think sometimes we can lose the joy of that fellowship. It's not that you lose fellowship with God. It's just that you've lost the joy. There was a time in your life when you loved to sit down with the Word of God opened and to fellowship with God, and you've lost that joy. Maybe there was a time that you loved to walk into this place. With a, you walked in with a smile on your face, and you were excited to be here, and now you just show up, and you've lost the joy of that fellowship. I think that can happen for many different reasons, maybe chiefly is sin in our life. So, brother and sister, if you've lost the joy of your salvation, if you've lost the joy of your fellowship, hear me, I don't think you've lost that fellowship. You've just lost the joy. So this morning, would you just cry out, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I want to begin to walk once again with you, Father, in joy. To walk in joy. I love what Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink writes. He says, now this joy is not to be regarded as a luxury, but rather as a spiritual necessity. We are obligated to be glad in God. So let me say that to you this morning. You are obligated to be glad in God because you have been saved and transformed and you have that joy. So I believe this joy is a present joy. But look what he says, and then we're done here. We are writing these things so that our joy may be what? Complete or full? This fullness of joy fullness of joy I believe is speaking to something in the future we can walk in joy but I don't know if we will ever walk in fullness of joy here Psalm 1611 let me end with this verse Psalm 1611 and may this be an encouragement to some of us who maybe are lacking joy in our lives this morning Psalm 1611 says you make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen, I don't think you have to wait till you get to eternity to start walking in joy. I believe you can know that joy this morning. But that fullness of joy, oh, one day you'll know. So let me encourage you, brother and sister, lift up your head. May your discouraged heart be lifted up in hope that a day is coming which you and I either through death or through the return of Christ will stand in the presence of Jesus the Christ the Son of God and all your tears will be removed and all your pain will be gone and death will finally die and in that moment you will know fullness of 
joy. And there will be pleasures forevermore. That day is coming. So brother and sister in Christ, take your eyes and look once again to Jesus. And let him restore the joy of your salvation. And remember one day you'll know that fullness of joy. But until that day comes, let us love God. Let us fellowship with one another. And let us be a church that continues to declare Jesus Christ and him alone. For it is Christ, or it is nothing. Let's pray. Oh, Spirit of God, move in this place, I pray. Move in this place. Speak, oh God. May your people listen. Before we sing, I just want you to know this morning that you've been prayed for. For the first time since I've been here, I did this this week. It it was a practice at my other church. On Monday morning, I walked this sanctuary maybe 20 times. And I just prayed for each of you, not by name. Some of you by name, if the Lord impressed your name upon my heart. But I prayed for each seat and each person that would be there. I just pray, number one, that you'd be here, and secondly, that God would speak to you when you got here. And he would work in your heart however he saw fit to work, and he would do whatever needed to be done in your life. So please know you have been prayed for, not only by me, but you were prayed for this morning by six men who gathered around the table. You were prayed for this past week by four men on a Thursday morning who gathered at a table. You've been prayed for Wednesday night by people that gathered in a Sunday school classroom and prayed for you. You have been prayed for, and you are loved not only by us, but by Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then I pray you'll come to know Jesus. I pray you'll come to know Jesus because that's what matters. And if you've lost that joy of salvation, brothers and sisters, then I pray that the Spirit of God will restore it for you. I pray he'll restore it for you. Father, we love you. And we give you our praise this morning. Now speak to us and may we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing uh, the hymn that's going to appear up here on the screen. I'll be here at the front. The altar is open. If you need to come, kneel and pray, take somebody by the hand and say, hey, come pray with me. You respond as we sing.
before we are dismissed, I think BJ is going to come. You got an announcement, right? Maybe. <laughs> Put him on the spot. I had one. Right here. There you go, sir. All the time.